So we're going to continue in the book of Romans. So uh, I won't go through all, now we're on chapter seven. So if I were to do a review of chapters one through six, I think that would eat up about uh, 10, 15 minutes. So um, let me just say that one of the big themes that Paul starts out with in chapter one, and then I'll bounce to chapter six, which came, of course, right before what we're going to talk about today, and set, sort of sets it up, is that in chapter one, Paul is essentially saying, here's what happens when we turn resource into source. When we begin to see everything that we have and begin to actually try to draw more meaning out of it than what it is capable of giving to us. And Paul calls that thing that we do when we turn our resources, which include material possessions, people, thoughts and ideas, um, when we turn those into the source, because we're trying to derive more life and meaning out of it, he calls that idolatry. And uh, so he sets that up in Romans 1 and then works through um, some of its effects on us. And then the law that uh, Moses brought and uh, the effect that it had on, on all of us or on the people that um, were under the law in those days. And so last week we talked about Romans chapter 6. And there Paul says that if we died, and hang in there with me because we're going to get into some, some of these sort of uh, biblical language, theological terms that are pretty dense, um, but uh, we'll unpack it. Um, shortly enough, but Paul says that those who have died with Christ are free from the power of sin, right? And so what he's essentially saying is that not only in the person of Jesus who died on the cross and thus freed us from our sin in sort of some larger conceptual way, is that he is saying that when you and I die to those particular habits that we sometimes live into, and do quite a bit of, that when we die to that, that we actually experience life on the other side of it, right? And I think all of us have stories like that, that when your normal pattern of however you get your needs met, you know, and, and you couldn't do it because some crises came into your life, but the crisis sort of uh, reordered your life in some sense, and you felt a sense of peace or a sense of joy, or you were surprised at how you came through that period of difficulty, and you liked who you were, you know, on the other side of it. There was a sort of a sense of, I like this, I like this new me, um, and that was because you went through, in the crisis, in the difficulty, you went through a type of death. I have a client of mine who says, um, uh, who said, speaking of the coronavirus, said, um, don't ever let a good crisis go to waste. And uh, that's a, a fairly popular saying, but yet many of us sort of say, well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I just want to get through to the other side. But yet I think that that's, that's a very biblical concept. Like we're in the midst of a season right now where we have an opportunity to take a hold of this and see it as a gift in some sense. It's, a, it's absolutely a horrible thing. No question about that. We can say that on one hand. We can also say on the other hand, it is also quite a gift to us in so many ways if we can learn to respond to it. And the gift doesn't mean it makes us feel good. What the gift can mean is that this is an opportunity for you to slow down. 
This is an opportunity for you to begin to turn more inward and look at yourself. This is an opportunity for you to reorder your life in a better way. Maybe there's, there's new habits that will come out of this season. I think there, I think there will. And I, I hope that's true for, um, for those of us who, um, <clears throat> who want that. Um, so Paul says, those who have died in the first part of chapter six, those who have died with Christ are free from the power of sin. Okay. And then what he says is <clears throat> the second half, now we have the power of choice, right? We can be a slave either to sin or a slave to righteousness. So he uses that metaphor, those, those, that con- contrast. Um, and essentially what he's saying is you're free now. Because you've died to sin, you're free to make that decision, that choice. Um, <clears throat> and that sounds good. And for some of us last week when we talked about that, you brought up shame. Remember that? For those of you who were here last week, that topic came up and there was a lot of discussion around shame. What do you do with that? And I think this chapter, chapter seven, this is where it gets real. So this is what I'm talking about is I I love that idea. Like now Paul's getting real with us because up to this point, there's sort of some big concepts and theological concepts, right? But when we get to chapter seven, wait till you see this. It's like this stuff, this stuff is the real stuff. This is what it feels like. And this is what our experience is like. In chapter seven, he says this, what shall we say then? Um, You want to share the screen? We're going to share that with you guys so you can see it. So we're going to read, um, if you want to read it on your personal device or whatever, you can do that as well. We're going to read Romans seven verse seven, um, right through to, I believe the end, um, the last verse 24 or 25. Okay. So verse seven, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. It's like telling a child, don't eat that, those chips or don't eat that cookie, right? The kid may not even have been interested in the cookie, but once you said, don't eat the cookie, now there's something it's got to be good because you told me not to eat it, right? I think, that's our, I think that's what Paul's getting at here is when this happens, uh, when there's a law, it awakens this within us, right? This, this, this curiosity, this need. I think he's probably thinking also about the commandment in Genesis 1. Many of you um, know about this where God says to Adam and Eve, do not eat of the fruit of this tree, the one tree that's in the middle of the garden. You can eat of all the other trees, uh, and, but that one tree became the focus, right? There could have been a, a hundred, uh, 200, 500, a thousand other trees they could have eaten from, but this one single one, don't eat of it. And what, do, what do they do? <laughs> well, they eat of it, right? And, uh, it's funny. The law awakens that within you. All right. So that's verse eight. And, uh, in continuing in verse eight for apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Remember earlier last week, for those of you who were with us, 
we finished with that part, that, that verse in chapter six, which is the wages of sin is death, right? Um, this is what he's speaking about. It's like, this is the result of sin. What ends up happening is you end up dying. So the law awakens sin. We live within sin even more. And then we have this, we experience a sort of death, not as death is like the end of life, but death that begins in the sense of we start dying internally. Right? There's like a, a death to ourselves, death to relationships around us. Things start becoming dysfunctional. So th- death is that big metaphorical term to describe all of the problems that result from our behaviors. All right, so um, I found that the, verse 10, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. So then, the law is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Have you ever noticed that um, when, when you're supposed to be, you know, you've got to learn patience. Let's use that as an example, as one of the, perhaps, commandments or laws. It's not one of the Ten Commandments, but... Um, let's just use that. Be patient. Uh, and you know, you're not patient. You're told you need to be patient. What happens to you? Uh, well, then, uh, you become impatient about not being patient. You start to feel like I'm, I'm, I've got to work harder. I've got to become more patient. And then you become impatient with yourself for not being patient. And, uh, some of us become even cops about impatience and, Anyone being impatient, we become impatient with them, right? So this is, this, and this is true about all kinds of behaviors, which is why I think he's illustrating this idea of the law is not capable. The rule itself is not capable of actually changing us. All it does is just wake it up. It reveals, first of all, that we're not there, which is good. There needs to be some sort of separation between where, in our minds, between where we are and where we'd like to be, you know, the better version, right? We have to have that. This is why, you know, I've talked about, you know, with atheists, even if you don't believe in God, do you believe in something greater, ultimate goodness, something greater than you? Because if you don't, you've got no, you've got nothing to point your arrow towards, right? And people go, well, it's an internal one for me. Well, regardless of whether it's internal or external, you, you have to have something greater than yourself to bring you forward, to move you forward. Otherwise, you're going to stay in the same place that you're in, right? So, um, so we need the law to do that. But then the law also does this other thing, which it wakes up even more desires that we didn't perhaps have beforehand. Okay, so that's, that's this first section um, I wanted to look at. Um, by the way, um, you know, well, maybe we'll do this later. I was going to say, if you guys want to write uh, down some of, the, some of the particular weaknesses that have surfaced this week for you in as a result of being stuck perhaps uh, in in this um, social isolation. Um, You know, I talked about mine last week and these are challenges that I'm becoming, you know, awakened to and aware of is um, that I have to, I have to live in a different way. And I've noticed how, speaking of patience, I've noticed how um, in the past, my patience um, at times with, um, with AJ or with Patty wasn't, wasn't as good, you know? And, uh, and so, um, I've become awakened to that because I'm spending so much time at home and how easy it is for me to become 
um, edgy or sharp or dismissive and um, and how it requires more grace from me and more patience uh, in growth in the space. So I've, I've been awakened to that, like, oh, it's there. And, um, and that's a good thing. Um, there's also the need for um, my normal escapes that I um, have always enjoyed uh, that aren't available to me. Like I can't go, you know, I've said this a million times to all of you, how much I love racquetball and I play, you know, four days a week. Well, <clears throat> I can't do that. Um, and so there's some things there uh, that have been awakened. Right? So there's, those are the things that this virus is <clears throat> forcing to awaken within me. And, um, and so I relate to this, this, uh, this uh, part of the, of the passage and, and, um, and wait till we get to this next section because it really, Paul really gets into this. All right, so verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual. This is where it gets real, folks. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. So this is verse 14. Paul says this of himself. I am sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Do any of you relate with this? And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. That's very interesting. We'll come back to that. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, or that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. Do you, feel, do you see his frustration? Like he's really working through it and getting getting into that like frustration, the, 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 the pain of that. Um, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. Yeah. Wow. So this is where it gets real. Paul is not like, hey, look, I've transcended guys. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to you now because you guys need to all grow up. It's, it's guys, this is what I'm dealing with like now in this moment. So these concepts of if you died with Christ, you're no longer uh, a slave to sin. And uh, Oh, by the way, you have the power to choose in chapter six. Oh, but, but, but guess what? In real time, I don't do the things that I really should do or want to do. And I can't even seem to do it. And that's real frustrating. Can you relate to this? This is like, this is real. This is like, this is what I love about, about scripture is it's not, there's no coloring this with rose, you know, colored markers or whatever. This is real. This is, this is how you experience your struggle and it's okay. So this is what I like about this is that Paul is not saying, look at you guys should not be dealing with this. He's saying, this is within me. So guess what? Take a deep breath. This is okay. This is real. And there's grace for you. And there's grace for me. Yeah, I had a couple uh, contact me and wanted to meet with me uh, on Friday from the other side of the world. And they're clients of mine. And they said, 
you know, we were doing so well with our marriage and then we got into a fight the other day. And, uh, and I just had to say to them, guys, this is normal. Like, don't expect that that's not going to happen. This is normal. But now you know the way back. And I think this is what Paul is getting at is there's a way back. There's a way back or a way forward now. And you know that path. You didn't know it before. You were asleep. So you were just in your brokenness and your sin and your dysfunction. And then the law came and woke you up and you saw it. Oh, right. Right. I see. Yeah, I can see the impatience in me. I can see the envy in me. I can see those little ways of vengeance that I carry out with people. I can see the silent treatment I give. I can see, I can start to see these patterns that have always been there that I've sort of never really paid attention to. And that's a good thing that you can see. Um, But what I like about what he says here is it is no longer I myself in verse 17, as it is no longer, as it is, it is no longer I myself would do it, but sin living in me. Here's what I suggest to all of, all of us is begin to speak of your behaviors as separate from your identity. Do you see that Paul does that? Even though he identifies with them, it's like, I am, the, I am doing these things. He is not identifying his identity with his behavior. He's not linking those. He's, dis, he's separating those out. Why is that important? Because we can so easily become full of shame. So this is back to what we talked about last week. Remember, we talked to those, those of you who were here. You guys brought that up in the Q, sort of Q&A period of our, of our conversation. Like, what about shame? I struggle with shame. And, and we talked about this issue of, of identity and, and tying your identity in with your behavior. And Paul is separating it out very, just very clearly here. Like, this is not me. It's, it's sin within me, right? So in my work as a coach, I, I do this with my clients is I'll talk about, um, you know, separating out your, your personality from who you are. Like, speak of it as, this is my type. This is my personality type behaving this way. Not as a way to sort of abdicate responsibility, to say, like, it's, I, I don't own, it's not me. You know? I'm not the one who, who yelled at you. It was, you know, my personality who yelled at you. You know, you, it, it, you have to sort of, you know, own your responsibility here, right? But it's not over-identifying it with your, with, this is me. I'm a bad person, Right? But Paul is recognizing I'm a mixed bag of all sorts of motivations. Part of me wants to do good and the other part of me doesn't. And I know that. And so this is a, this is real and there's grace in that space. And so we take a deep breath and we receive in by breathing in, we receive in the grace of of God. Like I am a mixed bag of all sorts of motivations, but yet the truth about me is that I am loved by God and that I am a child of the divine and that all of this is part of the human path, the, 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 the human experience and the journey, the path that we walk on. 
And so it isn't about, as we've said many times, it isn't about a performance of Christianity, a performance of spirituality, a performance of I'm transformed. I'm no longer like that. That's not the perfect. When we say those things, like I'm no longer this, you know, I'm no longer that person. Oftentimes it comes from a need to perform our faith as opposed to living the journey of our faith. And Paul demonstrates this right here. This is the journey, right? I'm walking. Guess what? Today I'm feeling like I'm struggling with the things that I really want to do and versus the things I know I should be doing. And I, and I actually want to do those things, but then there's this other desire within me. That's the journey. Right. And we need to speak that way. We need to be honest that way. I think Paul gives us permission to actually step out and say, hey, you know what? I am a mixed bag of motivations. So maybe we, maybe, hey, maybe we stop saying, you know, I really, my intentions, I know my, I know my actions weren't really, you know, maybe helpful, but my intentions were really good. How many have said that? <laughs> Yeah, right? We, we, we're like defensive sometimes, right? What are we protecting? We're, we don't like, we're afraid of, of like, if, 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 I'm, if I go there, you know, what then, you know? Sometimes it's, it's shame that's really keeping us from that space. But it's okay for us to say, you know, I'm a mixed bag of motivations. And on one hand, that was a very selfish act. It totally was. Totally was. But on the other hand, I also have this other part of me that really wanted to do something good. It was kind of both. And I'm trying to lean more into one than the other. But sometimes I get it more, I'm more on one side than I am on the other. And that's also true. Right? Okay. So, any thoughts, Jim? <laughs> so, you, uh, if you're newer with us, um, or you, you're not normally used to how we talk about scripture as opposed to maybe how some churches talk about it. Like we, we say like the Bible is our book, but we'll just be really honest when uh, we're looking at something. So the way I'm about to talk about this, like, just go with me. Um, this uh, it's all for me. Romans seven has always felt like this. Like he sets up this great argument, like Romans one through um, seven chapter seven, verse six, which he skipped. Um, <laughs> but it's this whole thing about like, uh, you know, if the, he compares marriage to like the law and like a woman is, you know, she's, uh, her husband dies, she's free to marry someone else because she's no longer under that. And he's saying it's basically like our break from the law under Christ is as extreme as that. Like it's gone, it's over. Like it is a, it is an entirely different ball game. And then I feel like he goes back and starts contradicting himself and like arguing with himself. Like, I, I feel like he's trying to work this out. And my general feeling of Romans seven is like, well, at least Romans eight is next. <laughs> I love Romans eight, but Romans seven, like is, is so frustrating. Cause it's, I call it the do do passage. Cause it's all like, I do this and I do that. And I don't do this. And I want to do that. And he's like constantly like going back and Doo-doo. forth. Yeah. It's like, he can't figure he's, he's like arguing with himself is what this, this whole passage feels like. And I get that because this is like a hard thing to get our heads wrapped around. Yeah. There's like this emotional disconnect between like, okay, this thing is true, right? Like the law is dead. I have a new identity in Christ. I am a new creation, but man, this crap keeps resurrecting itself on me. Like that's, that's what I feel like. And I can see him kind of trying to deal with that. And he's trying to do with that 
in different ways. But some of the, you know, it's not me, but it's my sin nature. Like part of me feels like, is that a little bit of the devil made me do it? Cop out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Remove like removal of um, responsibility. responsibility. <laughs> like it does. It sounds like an yeah. objecting from, yeah. Uh, <laughs> obje- yeah. Sort of pulling yourself back from that responsibility. And so he just, he just kind of goes back and forth. Not only that, but in one verse, he's like, um, the, like, I wouldn't have known what sin was without the law. Yeah. But he says like in chapter one, that like people who don't have the law, like abide by the law who don't even have it. And so he's, and so it's like, it's like, he's been building this really strong argument and now he's going very Talmud esque. He's like, just almost like arguing with himself or, or he's anticipating arguments they may have. That's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I can, I can see that. And I feel like that's why he really needed a home run in, in, chapter eight. That's just like this incredible, like uplifting thing. Yeah. Cause I'm like, you're, you've been building up and it's been great. And then I just feel like here's this dip yeah. in the, in the argument before he starts kind of going up again. And I wonder how long it took him to write Romans. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, could you imagine? It, it's, it's totally possible that he's, 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 he wrote this over like years, like, yeah, maybe. Or you're not that he wrote it over years, but yeah. maybe he, maybe this was part of his thinking over the mm-hmm. years that he finally got on paper. Yeah. But like to imagine that uh, like a Psalm, like Psalms, we, uh, people think that Psalms were written in a day, like one Psalm right. was written in a day and it wasn't. Uh, these, these folks would have written Psalms over the period of, of maybe months through a particular difficulty they were going through. And, um, and I like that. I prefer that over the way we speak. Cause we edit yeah. everything. We, we sort of like edit out things to make it like, so then I realized and I figured out that, and it's not actually really that we figure it out. We right. sort of stumbled into some of this stuff, you know? And so I think we, I think it's better for us to write down our experiences as they're happening in our actually, our actual belief about the experience as it's happening, mm. because then there's these insights that come later that then we look at and go, oh, right, I saw it this way, but actually now I see it differently. And so it's entirely possible for Paul as he's writing this, that he's working through the different insights he's having over the period of his own life. Yeah. You know, and like, this is where I'm, you know, I am now. Mm-hmm. And now I see differently. So eight, you did, do see a distinct difference in eight where it is, it's very much expanding into the future. It's expanding into anticipating the future and then calling it into the present. Like how do we live this future into the present right now? So Mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, he is, he's setting up the, he's setting up the problem he has to deal with an eight, which is um, how do we live in the tension sort of between these two worlds Mm. as, and there is still this building all the way from this towards, you know, Romans 14, where there's a lot of ambiguity, where he like really opens the door to to there being a lot of ambiguity. But like this, the thing I, the thing that bugs me is like, okay, get to, what is your actual argument? Because you seem to be going back and forth. But the thing I love about it is like, how often I do that myself, like that same, Mm -hmm. I feel like we're really seeing in the way Paul feels about himself and the way he like sees his own struggle, where he's like, um, I haven't, this is not settled or done or f- completely fulfilled in me. Like I'm yeah. still kind of struggling through this. I'm yep. still working this out. Yep. Um, and so that I guess gives me hope. Yeah. Um, well, you see his personality come through. If you don't see his personality and you think this is like God writing this guys, this isn't God writing this. This is God writing through the human personality, right? That's how it always has worked. 
And so you see his distinct, by the way, from like Peter or hugely distinct from John. Like there couldn't be a difference between the way John thinks and writes than the way Paul does. So personality is huge in this space. So you see it come through, right? And, uh, and he's hard on himself. Look, look at what he says here, verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I do not do the good, evil is right. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Then he finally says, what a wretched man I am. Now it's like this moment of like, he's been working his way up to this point, And now finally you hear the emotion come through, right? Do you feel that like, ah, you know, that so sort of like, this is so frustrating. What a wretched man I am. Um, I wonder if this, and we talked about this last week about him. Um, you know, what are the things that you once like were you defended or the things you did that you're now ashamed of? And I wonder if this, some of his past, as far as him persecuting the now, the people he's now trying to encourage is coming through and what he's feeling in this, like, um, you know, there could be some hesitancy of like, where am I wrong now? Um, that's a really good point. Yeah. Cause yeah. he's, cause he's talking about, like he just said in, in chapter six, like, you know, what did the things you did that you're now ashamed of? Like, well, he, we know the things he did that he's now ashamed of. And if you don't, he, he persecuted before he became a follower of Jesus. He, per, he actually persecuted those who were followers of Jesus. And even oversaw the death of, you know, Stephen, Stephen in, yeah. um, Acts seven or nine. I can't remember. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I think he's having a little bit of that feeling, that little thing that keeps coming back where he just feels like this thing is supposed to be dead. I know that's true of my faith, but like, uh, he's still carrying, it's almost like I, I, you feel in this, in this sentence, like he's still carrying some of the shame of, of like where he's come from in his story, but even though he's owning the arc of where it's all going. I, th- I think that's a really good point because one of the things that we know about Paul is Paul actually, when he was persecuting the, the, the followers of Jesus, the, the early followers of Jesus, um, Paul was really young when, um, when the disciples were already of middle age. And, um, and so um, he wasn't a contemporary of Jesus. Uh, Jesus died. Paul was super young when, uh, when the disciples were uh, of middle age. And then finally, when he gets of a certain age and he becomes uh, more influential in, um, the, in the religious world <clears throat> as a Jew, <clears throat> he begins to uh, persecute those people who were followers of Jesus. And what we know of him is that he was doing it from, <clears throat> from what he believed to be good intentions. He was really driven to do the right thing. Right? It, that's his personality. He wants to do the right thing. What is the right thing? And so he's so driven, he goes out and does these things. And then Jesus appears to him. So some of you know the story. He has this, uh, this experience of where he's knocked off of his, uh, off of his, off uh, his high horse. High horse. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And, um, and then he knows it's like, this must be God. And, uh, but who speaks is the person of Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Mm. Paul had to be utterly shocked, absolutely shocked. And then there's this metaphorical, um, really beautiful metaphorical miracle that takes place. So he struck blind, right? 
and then he has to go to, um, I think it's Barnabas, right? And then Barnabas prays for him and he receives a sight, right? So that's a meta, that's, that's like a metaphor, right? He's like, you're, you were blind, now you see, right? But you see at a deeper level. And, um, and Paul had that experience of like, oh my God, I thought I was doing the right thing. <laughs> I was like really sure of myself and suddenly boom, the lights go on and now I see. So to your point, I think that's really insightful is that maybe at this moment, as he's working through this, he's also having more, some more of these experiences or maybe self-doubt around how do I, you know, how do I know that I'm right? And, you know, but, but I, I do see here, it's, it's very acutely aware of now deeper motivations that perhaps he wasn't aware of before. Um, and aware that, some of those behaviors that he once thought were okay or good, or, you know, he just didn't see, he now sees. And that's what happens for us as we begin to see, it can be hard on us. We mm. begin to see more and we mm. can start to experience that shame. And you can see that here, what a wretched man I am. Yeah. But he's at least separating out himself, his behavior from his identity. And I think that's, that's helpful. Um, yeah. I think sometimes it's helpful I heard years ago someone say in a marriage, um, it, they're like, the way a good marriage works is it's the two of us versus whatever the problem is. It's us together working against that thing. Yeah. And um, in when relationships are really struggling, it's the two of us against each other. And I think so many times with, like some of the things Paul is doing this, is like, um, you can separate that out from yourself a bit and you can go, it's like me and the spirit. It's like the two of us are in relationship to solve this third sort of um, thing that is influenced me. This thing that he says the, the phrase under sin, like this thing that feels like it's over my head. It's like hanging over my head. Mm. And I feel like that's a good image. Like this, yeah. sometimes the sin is just feel like, like it's hanging over our head, but yeah. us and the spirit together, we can kind of, you know, do that. We have comments blowing up, dude. <laughs> I want to, actually, I want to stop here okay, because okay, I yeah. want to, I do want to get, you know, hear what you guys are saying and then maybe um, get some questions for you. I don't want to resolve this. Like, I don't want to go, right. oh, guess what? Let's jump to it quickly to eight or let's jump to some good <laughs> news here so we can get out of this. I actually want to say the funny way he finishes this is so then in myself, so then I myself in my mind, am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. And that's the way he wraps up this section. Now it's, it's like, not thanks, the, dude. it's not the end. Thank God. You know, he goes on to vert to chapter eight. It's a flow, but still it's like a firm ending here. Like yeah. this is the way it really is guys. We have both. And it's, and, and that's the, that's the journey. So I wish the church, by the way, so this is the last thing I'm saying. I wish the church, my God, I wish the church would do this. Stop performing like you guys are all cool and you guys have your crap together, including pastors in America. I'm tired of it because I know you. I have conversations with you pastors. <laughs> and, and it's like, this isn't true. So stop performing and start practicing and presenting the way Paul does. He's the greatest pastor to model our lives after. And here he's saying, hey, this is real. I struggle enormously with this. And I also have this other part of me that wants to do good and both are true of me. Yeah, all right. I'm done. So yeah. I, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts and respond. Yeah, we've, we've got a, we got a bunch of them. Um, hang on. So they start here when we start getting onto like the shame thing. Um, yeah. That's sort of feeling alone and isolation. Mm -hmm. uh, all this stuff. It's, 
I think we may, it's actually a good time to relate to this passage because a lot of our, our frustrations and our, our emotions, our feelings are all getting, uh, that we can normally eliminate through distraction of our lives and moving about are kind of like, we can't get away from them right now. So we might feel like this, ah, who will deliver me? <laughs> a little bit of that, um, that going on right here. Yeah, bad moments not making us bad people. Um, I like all these parts. I like uh, Jessica says let, letting those parts of us coexist without judgment. Yeah, good, really good. Yeah, um, the imposter. The, yeah, yeah, it could be overwhelming. <laughs> Ducking at our sponsor. Yeah, Noah loves to say, "My brain, my brain told me <laughs> to, to say, say I don't like you." <laughs> 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 oh, is Jen, awesome. that is oh, that oh is my awesome. gosh, I love that. Uh, that's why we are. Yeah. And you're right. That's why we're reading Romans as a whole and not cherry picking it. Mm. Like, like that is super important to us that we actually like try and take things as they are. Like we said, this, the Bible is our book. We're not going to treat it as something it's not. Um, as Joel often says, you know, the, the Bible is like an instrument. You can play any tune you want on it. Um, if you're not careful. So I think, uh, just having the chat going, having this different perspectives that like we want to kind of do that. So what I'm going to do um, is I'm going to unmute. I'm going to unmute everyone and then remute everyone. Then, but you're going to have the power to unmute yourself if you want to say something. So right now you can, if you want to like pipe in here, like jump on and say something, go you, for yeah, it. Yeah, you can either chat a question to us or a thought, or you can verbally do it, whichever one you're most comfortable with. I was just going to um, say how much I appreciate that approach of like, um, and maybe this is putting words in your mouth, so I, I don't want to do that, but, you know, it seems, this, is, this has really been what has allowed me to stay a Christian is seeing scripture as inspired and not infallible. And I don't want to offend anyone with this whole argument right now, but gosh, Paul says some really jacked up stuff, especially about women. So I just, I think that's a really salient point. Like scripture is absolutely inspired by the Holy Spirit and meant to be um, read that way, like with the power of the Holy Spirit. But so many times, especially in the evangelical world, we put the word of God on this. I, I, I don't want to get dogmatic about this. I can see it being divisive, but I just really appreciate that viewpoint. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's true. We kind of, um, we often say that there's, there's nothing wrong with the way that a lot of the church talks about scripture other than they, they treat it as something it's not in order to interpret in a way that they shouldn't to make it say it things it doesn't. Um, which we're trying to be humble enough about because what the, what's really gets elevated in that space is not the scripture. Yeah. It's saying I'm elevating the scripture in the name of, of elevating my opinion in the name of God. Yeah. And that's actually the second commandment. Do not take the Lord's name in vain, meaning attach his name to my vanity, my vain perspective, Thoughts, yeah. what yeah. I, what I hold on to. And so like, I think keeping this humble thing and saying like, we are part of this process and this journey and we are going on it with, um, with Paul, we're going on this journey with Paul, this person who I would, I would love to sit down and argue with him about this passage specifically, 
I would love that opportunity. Yeah, well, he probably has different thoughts about it now. Oh, totally. I'm I'm guessing. (laughs) I'm guessing he does. You know, I mean, look, you're just, you're always going to be figuring things out and realizing like, oh, right. So I've said this before. No one possesses the fullness of truth. None of us do. It's impossible. So even when people say, no, I'm just reading the scripture as it is. No, you're reading it as you are because you're reading it through your lens, through your ability to interpret, right? And so truth is beyond us. And that's what keeps us humble. And that's what keeps us in the place of ever learning. I think a learning mentality, a growth mentality is one of humility and one in which God can respond to, right? So there's no arriving. There's only journey. Now, there are different points where we can look back and go, wow, I've traveled a long way. I used to deal with this and struggle with this. I don't anymore. Mm. That should be the case with us. That should be because that follows the whole idea of Romans becoming truly free from sin. And we'll talk about what that means even more and how to do that uh, in in the ensuing chapters that are coming up. But that's, yeah, that's... uh, Maybe I'll, I'll say one more thought, but since this was a, a pretty juicy one for, for a few of you, <laughs> is that related to how scripture works. And um, some, some in, in, in the past, uh, the way I've preached it and the way I've taught it was scripture was to be performed, was to be executed, done. And the way I see it now is it's not about... Um, doing what scripture um, or, or, or repeating what scripture um, has said or the insights that Paul has gotten to, but it's doing what Paul did. It's doing what the early church did. It's doing what the scriptures does, which is to wrestle with truth, to wrestle with God. Um, and um, and it's, so it's, it's less about these are the truths that I hold on to uh, although those are so very, very important, and we'll talk about that at another time, hugely important because they shape our thoughts, they shape our behaviors. But it's, it's also about are you engaged in the process of real life, of wrestling with, with difficulty? Because if you're not, then you're avoiding hardship, you're avoiding struggle, difficulty, mm-hmm. and you're not truly growing. You've landed. And no matter how long you stay there, and there are many, many, many Christians who get stuck in this space, including leaders, and they've stopped wrestling with reality. There's all kinds of ways we bypass um, our experiences. We bypass our experiences by escapes. We bypass our experiences by, uh, by living too much in our headspace or we, there's, you know, by, by, by overthinking. There's all kinds of ways we don't actually wrestle with this which is what Paul does is like, this is true about me. I struggle with this. And when we get to that place of real wrestling with it, then it starts to open our mind to greater insight. And I think that this is another thing I I just, I'm realizing now as I'm talking is seven chapter seven is about this, like wrestling in reality and the ugliness of that reality and staying present to that and not trying to escape from it in any way, not trying to ignore it, deny it, pretend it's not there. None of those behaviors are there for Paul. And then when you get to chapter eight, wham, it opens up to greater depth and greater insight. I don't think you get there without chapter seven in your life. Mm. You have to go through that chapter seven. Yeah. And as long as we're avoiding those things in our lives, and right now the coronavirus is giving us this opportunity to do chapter seven, to wrestle through it, to own it, to own it with grace, not with shame, 
but to say, oh yeah, that's true of me and I don't like it. And that's the right kind of death. And we'll talk about a little bit more of that next week. That's the right kind of death we died. And then there's chapter eight and wham, there's the insight. Wow, now I see. Wow, there's hope. There's joy that returns. Right? So, And chapter eight is smack in the middle of Romans. It's the, it's, mm. it's the center point in Romans, the center point of his argument. Yeah, the epicenter. Yep. Yep. With 16 chapters. So, well, should we worship?